random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, my name is Brian Michael Bendis. I am the co-creator of Miles Morales, Ironheart, Jessica Jones, other stuff. And you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Joining us on the other end of the tin can and string, a guy who is partially responsible for my return into the realm of reading comic books and being a comic book fan. and Here for the first time? Well, partially also for this podcast existing, Eddie. Yes. We are joined with a guy who's done so much stuff in the realm of comics, I couldn't even give him, you know, the... There's not enough uh, breath in my lungs that I could be able to get all those titles and all those characters and everything out. He's done a lot of stuff. He he certainly has. I have a list. We are joined with Brian Michael Bendis. Brian, good evening. Hey. How are you? Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. We're better now, actually. Yeah. This is a really fun thing to do. We're glad that we can get uh, people of your caliber, of others that are still doing what they're doing and loving it. And it's all it's all good stuff. It's all positivity that we're talking about here. Oh, I appreciate that. That's so, awesome. So now the hard hitting questions here at the Marvelous. My question for you is: Have you ever been in a submarine? I have been in a submarine. I've been in a couple of submarines. Uh, there is a submarine here in Oregon that I've been in. There's a submarine in Hawaii that I've been in, and uh, a, yeah, a couple. I amazingly, and you know, it's funny if you took. All the submarines I've been in and, like, stacked them, like, put them one on top of each other, you'd have, like, a sub-stack. Yeah. <laughs> what I did. See what I did there? I knew a, that. A I knew plus. that was coming. A plus. A plus for Thank that. You. I like that. So, sub-stack. This is, this is our best and most frequented uh, answer. Well, it's, it's that's a, of a lot, if not everyone. But this is the highest number of subs that I, we've gotten. Now, have you done Disneyland? Because if you've been to Disneyland and you've been on the Finding Nemo one, that does count, too. I have. Again, Same. I was a Disney employee for many, many years, so I took full advantage of my Disney access when I had the chance. I had little kids and a Disney employee. I, 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 we, we went through everything. So now you mentioned Substack. With Substack, yeah. what is Substack for the uninitiated out there who may not know what that is? I know. Well, yeah, it's, very, it's a very new, strange wrinkle in the evolution of what's going on in comics. And uh, about a year ago, Nick Spencer went to Substack and was kind of looking for a space for himself to try new things. And that conversation, again, I wasn't there, but uh, that seemed to go so well that they, they kicked open the door for a great many comic creators to have a space in which they can, you know, just kind of like make their own experiments try new stories, try to figure out what they want to add to the comic space. So, it's, you know, Substack is a newsletter service, but it has evolved so much with so much technology that you can actually, like, deliver full graphic novels, classes, uh, podcasts, like, you literally name whatever kind of media 
you want to deliver to, you know, subscribers, you can. And uh, it keeps evolving all for the best. And it's cool. It's like this new space in which while social media itself is struggling to connect us, which is what it's supposed to do and it doesn't do anymore, the, the, the sub stack allows us direct, like I, I send you comics directly to your email box and we have a class that's been going on for a few months. It's just one of my favorite spaces I've ever had in comics. And it's just, you know, subscribe and check out what we got. And it's, it's not just me. It's, you know, Brian K. Vaughn and Tom King and uh, James Tinian. And there's, there's so many comic creators on there trying new things and it's really, really cool. So now it, it's funny because like a lot of the the Substacks, I the main two that I follow, I follow the Scott Snyder one because of his you know the classes he teaches is on he teaches yep. is is I'm an English major apparently not, uh, <laughs> but I also follow famed uh, Chip Zdarsky. Chip Zdarsky, That's a great one. That's oh my great god, one. Yep. his stuff, it it is chaos. It is absolute chaos <laughs> in a weekly format. Yes. It is. I, I, I think everyone has done a very good job designing a look inside their brain. Like, I, that, that, like here, here's what my brain looks like this week. It's, it's a pretty good thing. But what's great is that it really is uh, uh, a unique space. The people who are in it who have discovered it have really loved it. And also it's like a kind of a reflection of what Stan was bringing to comics, which is always to include everybody, right? It's like, hey, you're part of this. Like, we're having a party. Let me tell you about it. Like, you're not, you're not, you're not looking at it from the outside looking in. We're, we're bringing you into it. And uh, I, I love that connection when I was a kid. I loved the connection when I first came to Marvel. And I love how it evolved. And, you know, when I first came into comics, you know, message boards were all, all the thing. And part of my, you know, making it to Marvel was, you know, the, the energy and coolness of my message board and, and all the people that were on there. And, and so the Substack is about as close to that energy as I've had since, since the days of Message Board. So I, I, we're right now, the comic book that I'm doing on Substack is, uh, I did a book years ago called Fortune and Glory, which was my uh, time in Hollywood in the late 90s when I was first you know, making it as an independent comic creator and all the weird shit that was happening. Uh, it ended up being one of my biggest graphic novels I ever did. And then this time I'm doing one about the short time I was the writer of the Spider-Man Broadway musical, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Uh, a lot of people don't know I was involved with that even for a second. Uh, I kind of kept it to myself and to my friends. But this allows me a great opportunity. This disaster of a Broadway play uh, allows me... Uh, uh, a format in which I can go back and tell all my favorite stories about coming up in comics and meeting Walt Simonson when I was a young man and all the things that got me here, hopefully to inspire others to get their hustle going and, and try to make their own comics. I was going to ask, how much uh, chaos did you see involved with uh, your time on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? Well, as uh, people already know, because we already have a couple chapters out, I was hired seven years before the play debuted. I was the uh, same director, same play. Uh, I got a call from Marvel out of the blue. Hey, we're doing a Broadway musical. They asked for you. I'm like, they asked for me? And uh, uh, as people will find out this week, I wasn't even a fan of, of, of musicals. It wasn't even a form that I appreciated. So I took the gig because 
how could you not? But uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know why I was there. And that you'll find out why in the comic book, like why they hired me, why someone with no experience at all was being asked to do this. Um, it was super, super crazy, and it ended up going away for many years. So I get to tell the story of I, I, I got to, like, hope make it go away for a while, and then it showed up again, and then I actually got to see it, which is so crazy. You get to hear a crazy bad idea, and then you, you help it go away, and then it shows up, and you actually get to see the idea with your friends with, on the Broadway stage. It was amazing. It's one of those, like, it's a forgotten Marvel project. Like, I remember uh, coming across, like, a copy of the pro- uh, the program, the you know, the gigantic little program thing for it, and my God, it was... You can watch the whole thing on YouTube, and it's yeah, insane. Yeah, there's, there's clips, and there's definitely that great Letterman appearance or Kimmel appearance where, where they show you really what they can do. Uh, and having seen that version of the play, what the, those, the, those Letterman clips are, are accurate. And I remember, you know, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, so like listening to his show Hollywood Babylon for a while, all of the chaos of that was a it, it was almost a weekly segment, you know, just documenting everything. And yeah, my God. Yep. I, I, so that's the story we're telling right now. Again, it's just a, a lovely excuse for me to tell the story of, of breaking into comics and what they mean and, 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 and what that was. So it's kind of a mixture of like the biggest disaster thing I could think of mixed with, I don't know if you ever read, Steve Martin wrote a book called Still Standing Up, and it was literally everything that happened to him up until the jerk. And it, I, was, a, it was a perfectly formatted book because, yeah, that's the good stuff. Like, once, once the jerk happens, everything else is pretty much okay, right? But, but everything up to then is, is the real uh, journey, and I, I use that as, as uh, inspiration to tell this. You hit a and, great... you know, there's not a lot, we don't have a lot of stories about us there's not a lot of stories about comics in the comics community. There's a lot of stories about music and film, but I, I think a lot of us should tell more stories about how we create stuff and what inspires us and what got us here. And uh, just on a side note there, Brian, I am a Steve Martin fan, and before The Jerk came around, uh, the albums I collected, including the, the banjo one, the Steve Martin Brothers, and that book, Born Standing Up, yeah. Yeah, he actually, uh, not to side, uh, think. He put out a graphic novel this year. Oh, put out, that uh, I, I don't. I don't, have, I don't have it in front of me. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Really interesting, and a, and a lot like what I'm describing, where he's just telling stories about his life in, graph, in graphic novel slash editorial cartoon form. Oh, and that's not to include also write the book he put out, which I think I still have, is the Cruel Shoes. Yeah, Cruel Shoes is great. <laughs> Cruel Shoes challenged me when I was a kid. That was great. I believe it. Yes. Um, I wanted to back up if I can. We can. I know we tend to start off the interviews, the guests with asking how they got their start. Meaning, things like how old were you when you first discovered comic books? What were your first characters that you read? Well, I'm so glad you're asking. And and, and again, not to plug, but uh, for those who want to read a version of this, this is what Fortune and Glory the Musical is about. But yeah, I um I I found them very early, like very like I don't have a memory of not having comics in my life. Hmm. Um, I was very attracted to the art form, very into the stories, and I stood up at the dining room table, I think six years old, and then I was about the age I figured out, oh, this is someone's job. Like, someone makes these, and I read them, and I feel a certain way. Like, oh, feeling this way is someone, making someone feel this way 
It's someone's job. I would like that to be my job then. And I stood up at the dining room table and said, is there an artist for Spider-Man? And my mom said, yeah, I, I think. And he goes, and I go, I'll be the, I'm going to be the artist of Spider-Man. And I sat back down. And, uh, like, 10 years ago, my mom, like, that memory hit her, and she called me and goes, do you remember standing up at the table and saying be the artist of Spider-Man? I go, yeah, I do. She goes, that's kind of amazing. Like, you got really close. I mean, that's, you know... You, you walked right in, and I'm like, yeah, I never drew one issue, though. So, anyway. It's okay. You said amazing, and that tied it right in, too. So. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, There you Eddie. go. Come on. <laughs> it's right there. I see what you did right there. Right there. One of Spectacular. My... Anyway. <laughs> Marvel team-up, even. No, web of, uh, you say. Come on. Not uh, true, but, you know. I want to mix it up today. It's ultimate. Oh, good, good. It's ultimate. <laughs> this is true. Mm-hmm. So, one of my favorite stories involving you in the realm of comics with, you know, the beginning of everything is the Stan Lee story of how you met him and the mm. the famed name tag. Yes. Could you could you regale that story to the audience? Oh, because I, I love, love that yeah. one. Yeah, no, so uh, this is at a time in my life where I'm going to the Cleveland Institute of Art, which is a very uh, fancy-smancy fine art school in Cleveland, uh, and uh, I was struggling because I wanted to be a comic artist, and no one there was teaching that. And But I was, you know, going getting my way through, and part of the way I was training myself is I would go to the job board, and I would grab any job that sounded like I could even at least try. Like, I, and I was failing a lot. But I would, like, grab every gig I could get and, and try and learn on the job and hustle and try to make a living. And then, lo and behold, one day on the board, Superman Parade needs artists. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, something, like, all my, all my things, right? And I called them. And uh, for those who don't know, Superman was created in Cleveland. And they were at that time, I forget what year of celebration it was, but there was a lot backing up about creating a Superman museum and a Superman statue that would, take, that would be erected in the middle of downtown's public square. And to um, raise money for this, they were going to have a big Superman convention and all the money was going to this uh, situation. So all, all these people were coming in, and it was a, a first for Cleveland at the time, a very big convention, and I got hired to draw all of the um, signs on the sides of the cars for the parade. So they gave me a list of all the, like, um, uh, actors and, like, Jonathan Frakes, which is, like, like was going to be there. So I, I drew an Enterprise and put on the side of a car. And, so, and then Siegel and Schuster were going to go, or one of them was going to be there, and then was spelled by illness. And then at the last minute, they go, scan's coming. Stanley is going to come, so you have to, like, make Stan. And there was somebody else, it might have been Roy Thomas, is also coming, you know, in celebration of them. So it ended up, uh, so you have to do a sign for them real quick. And now you can't do a, for Stan, you can't do it real quick. I stayed up all night. I stayed up all night and made the most elaborate sign. Uh, and, uh, and I was exhausted, and, and the parade was in the morning. So I just went right to the parade, having stayed up all night. I'm frazzled. And the bus pulls up, and all the guests come out, and Stan Lee comes out. I'm exhausted. Stan Lee comes out, looks me in the eye, puts his hands on my shoulder, and goes, Brian Michael Bendis. And I'm like, oh, oh, you know my name? And then he whispers in my ear, you're wearing a name tag, Schmuck, and walked away. And that was my first interaction with him, uh, which is only funny. And then later, like when I got to Marvel, he called me, took me to lunch, was very, very... Uh, uh, warm and generous with me the entire time I was at Marvel and the entire time he was alive. And uh, so 
and to know that that's how we first met was it's, it's so funny to me. Did you wear so a it, name it, tag during it, that it lunch? Was, it was kind of perfect. Like I never wanted to meet him again. Like you know, like it, it was like, and at the time it was like Mr. Rogers swearing. It was like Stan Lee saying schmuck was like, oh my god, like, <laughs> sacrilege. You know, I have to ask, during that uh, lunch you had with him afterwards, did you wear the name tag again? Just, you know, have uh-huh, a full circle? No, my, my, <laughs> my favorite thing, we had, we had quite a few interactions over the years, and on top of which was him giving Ultimate Spider-Man a thumbs up early on, and it scared me because it was like I had the job, and I never even thought, like, Stanley would know about it or think about it or, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden one day a friend of mine at Wizard called him because I just interviewed about ultimate ultimate comics you want to hear it i go don't no <laughs> no and and the good news is he had heard my i had said over and over and over again in every interview spider-man is not broken and i'm not fixing it like that that was like may may make that very clear that is not what this is right and he had heard that and um both him and john remedius senior had had gone out of the way to reach out and give us a thumbs up and which was very empowering. It was uh, very emotional for me, uh, and more. And he didn't have to do any of that. Like he didn't. He didn't have to say a word. And he went out of his way to, to be kind to me and generous with me over the years. And then um, years later, and there had been a few times where I had been invited to stuff, and out of humility, I guess, or some kind of shame, I, I, I would say no. Like I wasn't worthy of going to a dinner or a lunch or something. Or, and like I remember, one, like years ago, I was at a convention with my dear friend Diana Schutz, who's a big editor, um, uh, and is very, very kind to me and, and a mentor to me. And she was good friends and the editor of Will Eisner. They were hanging out, and she was, "Brian, come to lunch with me and Will." And I went, "No!" And I ran away. I was like, that, "That's like going to that's like going to lunch with God or something." I couldn't even fathom it, right? And, and I didn't go, and I was immediately embarrassed for not going, ashamed of myself, went home, and then he passed away, and I never got to have it. And I, and I was, like, an opportunity came, and I didn't take it. And I, I literally said to my wife, I'll never do that again. I will never pass something up because I think I'm not, like, worthy of it. Like, if I was invited, I was worthy of it, right? Like, that, that was the lesson. And then a day later, like, some crazy weird short amount of time, Stan out of the blue calls and goes, hey, you want to have lunch? And I'm like, yes! And I literally told my wife, I have to buy a plane ticket and fly to Beverly Hills to go to lunch with Stan. Like, I'm literally spending money on a plane ticket to go to Cheesecake Factory, but I can't pass up lunch with him. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, he's, he's 78 years old. I gotta go. Right? So, I, I, went, to the, I went to lunch and, I, and I, I remember two things about the lunch. Number one, I have over the years worked with and been uh, in situations with really well-known movie stars, like people, like people like who have worked on projects with us and stuff. I've never been in a restaurant with someone more famous than Stanley. Everyone, everyone was in awe of his of him being there and was coming up every ten minutes to get his autograph. Right? I've been at lunches with Oscar-winning actors who no one came up to. So um, that was amazing. The other funny part was um, he comes up. I, I was there. He walks right up. And just to tell you what time of the year it was, he goes, like, he doesn't sit down. He goes, Brian, why is Norman Osborn on the Avengers? 
And I go, oh, and I, I and and he said it with, if you don't answer right, I don't know if I'm sitting down. <laughs> and I told him the story, and he literally went, oh, great, and sat down and ordered. Like, oh, that sounds amazing. And I, I had described, like, the premise of Dark Avengers and Secret Invasion, and he had just heard, like, some, I was bastardizing the Avengers, and he just wanted to hear what the plan was. And once he heard there was a plan, he was all into it. And I was like, wow, that's hilarious. He, A, number one, really cared, like he did. He cared and wanted to hear a good answer. So, uh, and, and also, from that lunch, I remember I caught myself whining about something about publishing like you do with peers, you know what I mean? Like some inside baseball thing that no fan wants to hear about, but just, you know, it's still a job. There's still problems, right? And I whined, and he was smiling. He loved publishing so much. He loved talking about it. He was so happy. And I, and I remember that very clearly. That's some great memories. And I can understand and relate to the fact that, you know, you, you declined, you didn't feel you were worthy, forget the Wayne's World, Aerosmith thing, whatever. But and, and the same thing, too, it sounded like when you first said you could have met him a second time, but, like, you know, having met him that first time and the way it happened, it couldn't get any better than that. Maybe, you know, you did it, you saw that. Uh, not that it's a bucket list thing, but it can't get much better. You want don't want to spoil the, the image or whatever. And like you said about the schmuck part, <laughs> You know, it's not what you expect from somebody who you uh, idolize, essentially. And uh, I can also get the part where all the people wanted his autograph because he was not up on the yeah. huge pedestal that an Oscar-winning actor or actress was and so far removed from being among the ordinary folk. So, yeah. Well, also, the part of it was just to add, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but every once in a while you run into someone you really admire and you really wish you would not have met them. Yes. Yep. Like you just wish you could have just loved them from afar. And I had a couple of those in comics. And I'm like, please not Stan, please. And uh, thankfully Stan was more than you would hope he would be. And there was a quite, and also there are quite a few people in comics who are more than you'd hope for. Walt Simonson, uh, 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 there, there are quite a few people who have gone out of the way to be insanely cool the entire time I've been reading and in comics like uh so so but but once you experience someone being not as good as you'd hope uh it does make you go all right and then maybe pick carefully who i meet next simonson's always simonson is always a hoot by the way i actually had him uh draw for me walter matthau as spawn and it's the weirdest visual you'll ever see but he was so <laughs> accepting of it he's like yeah sure why not you stood for two hours <laughs> No, so. he, I, again, not to plug uh, my book, but I just wrote a chapter. Uh, we just released a chapter where how nice Walt Simonson was to me when I was 12. Hmm. He changed my life, and, uh, uh, and I've done nothing but embarrass him about it ever since. Did it involve a stegosaurus or a dinosaur of some sort? No, it, it involved uh, me going to a show I didn't know he was at, him being my favorite artist, me walking up to him in almost a daze of confusion of, knowing I don't know what I don't know, but I don't know what I need to know, right? And I, I dumped my art portfolio on his desk and on, on his table, and he took me behind the table and treated me like a professional and gave me good advice and, and, and really empowered me. And whatever happened that day, that's why I'm here. Like, that, like he absolutely made me feel like a million dollars, and, uh, and then uh, every opportunity has, has topped, it, topped it to, to the point of, uh, working with me on Avengers and then giving me original art. Like he's been 
unbelievably nice to me, and I've done nothing but embarrass him about it. That is truly, truly awesome. Yeah, and I want to just quick back quickly back up to a side story where my wife of almost 25 years, at some point, who is who is and still is a um, physician, a podiatrist, but at some point thought about being a sports announcer. She's a big sports person as well. But And got to meet one of her New York sports announcer idols. I'm not going to name names. But upon doing so, less than uh, enamored. <laughs> and that ended that, that track. Thank goodness, because uh, I can do what I do and uh, and thankful for it every day. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the really the, the takeaway is I met two of my heroes. One of them was kind of a garbage fire, and the other was the most empowering experience I've ever had in my life. So all I learned was, and I, I say this in the graphic novel, the lesson of the day, be Walt Simonson. Just do that all day. That's the job. Be Walt Simonson. Be as good as you can at your job and be as nice to everyone as you possibly can be. There's no other, and there's no reason not to. It's comic. And it's funny because you look at a lot of the uh, the creators, like yeah, like there can also there can be the off day, of course, but you know it's a little memory, you know. Like I'm I'm very fortunate. Like some of the creators in comics, you know, it's also just the whole aspect of you know being polite to somebody too, you know. Like I got to see Frank Miller literally outside of Midtown Comics, and I go, "Excuse me, sir, can I can I please get a picture with you?" And then the rest of the day, I was glowing because like he was so you know very. He was respectful because I was respectful, you know? Yeah, Frank's been very nice, too. Very, very nice. And, it's so great. I, and that, that's part of the, that's one of the cool things about a job like this. Like you grow up, and I got to work with almost all my heroes on little projects, big projects. Like, you get, you get, to, you get to do stuff with them, and I, I, that feeling is amazing. Like, you guys mentioned Alan Davis, and I was like, the fact that I worked with Alan Davis once is I, I can't get. I still can't get over it. It was years ago. I still can't get over it. When it comes to you know the you know working alongside somebody you admire, the creators from your childhood, as well as just you know the ones you professionally admire, you have original characters. What is it like having you know an original you know a person that you admire working on one of your original characters, bring them to life? Oh yeah, that's super. You, uh, I will say that when even I feel like I'm manipulating some system. Like, what world is it that I'm having Walt Simonson draw Jessica Jones in an issue of event? Like, I'm, in, I'm full-on manipulating reality for myself here. And uh, so I think, I do, I think, of, I don't know if that makes sense. It just, it feels like you go, ooh, I've got my hero, I've got my character, I've got my dream dig, let's put them all together and see how, how spoiled I can be. And so, but yeah, I, 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 I do... I love that experience. It is, it is beyond. I mean, like, I think quite a few times, like, like even on a creator own book, like me and uh, Gatos, as you're talking about, like, like me and uh, we created Jessica Jones, and then we went to Dark Horse, and we have this Yakuza book called Pearl. And uh, I, I went to Michael. I go, give me your top five favorite artists of all time because we have a budget for like variant covers. So let's go get our favorite and. We went and got Kent Williams and like like all these artists that mean the world to him, and then you're like, it, it's the most beautiful experience. And you know, I would imagine like you've had you know characters that you've done drawn by like George Perez and Neil Adams. Yeah. Like I know Neil Adams yeah. has definitely drawn Miles, and it's like that realization like these icons, these legends, and you you know you 
you made these guys. You helped create these characters into. Well, it it feels it's a little different because you're like you know you're standing on their shoulders and yet talking to them, yeah. right? So like like when I worked with Neil Adams, a perfect example. Like I've worked with Neil Adams a few times, and every time was really interesting. And yeah, the, I think the last time we worked together was on an issue of New Avengers that was very heavy. Luke and Jessica, right? And he drew a great Jessica Jones, like a really, really interesting uh, take on the character. And I, I did, I felt like, and every other character in the book is someone whose take on the character is inspired by his. So it felt like I'm doing him, he's doing us, we're doing each other, and I'm sure that all sounds terrible on a, but that, that's, <laughs> that, it, it, it's like we it's get all it. the it's all the ways you can collaborate, collaborating all at once, and it's 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 uh, and you don't know you're doing it until you're there, and you're like, oh my god, look at this! It's like triple collaboration. It's the best. It's a kind of utopia of sorts. Yeah, it it it, it feels like you're reaching towards something you didn't know was it was there mm -hmm. until you could reach for it. If that makes sense. No, it perfectly does. I get that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's another pinch me, I'm dreaming kind of a situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I've, I've uh, like, uh, George Perez, as a favor to Tom Brevoer, drew the last pages of Avengers Disassembled. Uh, it's like, and I think it was among his last Marvel work he ever did. And that page where the Avengers are saluting George's memory is one of those pages. Wow. So not only did we get a, like a brief moment together, but um, I, I just felt, I, I, I just love this connection that we, we had. Also, cut to, if I may, uh, rewinding to the Superman convention and parade. Uh, part of, I, I asked the people running the show, hey, can I make part of my payment time with the guests? And they go, what do you mean? I go, I'm a student, and I need to talk to George Perez, mm -hmm. right? Because George Perez knows shit I don't know, right? And they go, oh, yeah, we can make that happen. So I, I literally used that. And, and, and for me, I remember at the time, I may, have, I may have had some learning disabilities that we didn't know at the time were learning disabilities. I was just, like, powering through uh, and, and doing the best I can. But I was having focus issues. And then I would look at George, George Perez's work and all the rubble and the, and, the, and the windowsills, and I just, like, I wanted to have the patience to do that work, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I went up to him, and I, and, I, and I asked him that direct question, I'm like, how do you focus? Like, how do you focus? And he gave me some tools that I, to this day, use. So, uh, so, so yeah, so it's not only that you get to work with them and meet them and shake their hand. But every once in a while, you get to share a truth or, or a, a wisdom that, that, that I carry with me. And then I use that uh, with every class I teach. I carry it with me. So. And it's funny because, you know, the one artist that I always think of is, uh, you know, with the detail and everything is either Arthur Adams or a Jeff Darrow. And, like, you look yeah. at their stuff and it's just like they have to ink that again. Like, I'm, and I, I've told Arthur, I'm just like, dude, you make me feel lazy. <laughs> like, and it's the biggest compliment because I'm like, man, I want to do that. Years ago, when the internet was just Tumblr, um, Art would send me, uh, like, all his, he was doing a lot of elaborate commissions, of which you can all see online. Uh, Google Art Adams, Fantastic Four Commission. 
and it, 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 it blows away the stuff he does for publication. And he would send it to me because he saw I was like posting art, like just random art on Tumblr. And he'd go, "Here, post this." I'm like, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, okay, <laughs> thank you." Like, it's like the greatest artist of all time sending me the best art he's ever done. Hey, could you post this as a favor? I'm like, as a favor to you, this is. This is what this is. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So both him and Jeff are kind of amazing. Like I know uh, when Jeff was like doing stuff over at Marvel, like briefly the uh, like the Deadpool covers, like that one yeah. cover of like Deadpool shooting at a T Rex vomiting cats, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say on the show. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of the detail and everything. I'm just like, this is insane, and I love every second of looking at this. Absolutely, and as 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 we're making a list of uh, cool people in comics, both of them high on the list. And, you know, speaking of Jeff Darrow, Jeff does a lot of work. They just recently re-released uh, his Hard Boiled over at Dark Horse Comics. Yeah. Hell of a segue, right? <laughs> I um, like that. So you got some stuff going on over at Dark Horse. What is it exactly that you got going on? Well, you know, everything worked out really cool at Marvel and DC, and it just allowed me this opportunity to, like, laser focus on creator-owned stuff and having having, like, really felt like, that mountain at Marvel got, I climbed it and maybe a couple of times uh, that, that I, I um, looking around at what to do and what I want to do and what scares me and what delights me. I, I really took the opportunity to really like hyper-focus on creating new characters and new worlds and new universes over at Dark Horse under our Jinx World banner, which we have Joy Operations and, I'm doing a new book right now with Alex Malib after we just finished our book, Scarlet. So I have a book with David Mack called Cover. And uh, coming very soon, a, a brand-new chapter of Murder, Inc. with my Powers co-creator, Michael Avon Oming, and my fellow teacher, Taki Soma. And uh, with these are books we're very passionate about, very proud of. Uh, the people who are reading them are very, very into them. And uh, if you like the stuff we did at Marvel in DC, if you were digging what was going on with Miles, I really think you'd dig the ones. I really think you'd love what, we, what we're doing over there. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of the best stuff in comics is created around and has been since comics were created. So it's uh, right now, I just because Marvel and DC are such fun toy boxes, I, I go, boy, you know, I'm. I just want to focus on the stuff that scares the shit out of me creatively, and that's what we're doing now. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier... Pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And it's kind of funny that uh, 
you know, you're also you do a lot of the teaching and whatnot. And yeah. one of the books that you've done is the uh, Writing for Comics book. What is the t- what is the title called exactly? It's called uh, Words for Pictures, and uh, that um, that book is actually an extension of the class I've been teaching for the last 15 years at Portland State University, which is the class I wish I took when I was growing up. I, again, I went to art school, but they, they didn't understand comics and no one was teaching them. And other than Will Eisner's book, which was very hard to find, and then eventually Scott McCloud's book, there wasn't anything out there for us, right? And uh, so I've spent years crafting a class both by myself and with my friend David Walker and Taki Soma about collaboration, about the you know, about all the things that comics can do that no other medium can do. Uh, and so when it was time, and but one of my philosophies is, sure, there's, um, there's a um, way I do things, and I could tell you them, but what I really like about comics is that everyone has a different way they do things, like everybody. Like you could be on a collaboration and everyone's coming at it from a different perspective, and studying everyone's different styles and methods and picking and choosing from them and learning from them has been one of the highlights of my whole life. So the book is that. The book isn't here's a how to write like me book because I don't want that. It's a here's how Ed did Captain America and here's how Matt Fraction did Hawkeye and here's how Kelly Sue did this and, and here's how Joe Casada did that. And it's, 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 a, it's a, a, a smorgasbord of ideas and styles because I found out that everyone picks and chooses the things that works for them. So here's a bunch of things. See, see what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, and then right now um, I'm still teaching and we have a class on Substack. That's one of my favorite things. Uh, we literally just did the 11th class on dialogue. Uh, and our next class is on revisions and, uh, and rewriting yourself. Uh, but uh, on top of the class, we also have a project called Creation, of which you can watch some of it for free online right now. And Creation is a, a book. It will be a book from Dark Horse, but right now it's a series of posts, a video, audio, and in text, any, in any format you want to experience it, of me talking about the very, very messy art of creating something from scratch, uh, creating something truly original, creating something that belongs in a shared universe, something that needs its own universe, all of the different things that creation allows. And the reason I'm super focused on, create, on, on teaching creation right now is that I realize it is still to this day something that most creative people do not want to talk about because most of it is failure. Most of it is just messy. I blew it. No, this isn't working. Failure. But as I'm sure you may have even experienced in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the oops, sorry in the podcast world, that um, um, failure is where you get to the good stuff. Oh yeah, they fail, yeah. failure is the fun stuff. And though it may not feel good in the moment, every time I've really failed, like really blew it, the thing right afterwards is the best thing I've ever done, or the or the most satisfying thing I've ever experienced. So I've gotten to the point in my life, and I tell my students this all the time, where if I if something's failing, I get excited. I get like excited, like I'm about to win a prize. Because sometimes I do. Sometimes like uh, like something really great happens. So instead of I, I want to demystify failure, because I don't know what. Uh, it's weird. It's like something about our 
culture. I think it has something to do with reality show like Bake Off, where we've created like a generation of people that were told you're either the best baker or you suck. Like you either win the prize or you're terrible. And that's just not what creation is. It just isn't. It's, you know, it's, it's varying degrees of success and failure. And, and there's no one wins the prize. It's just, you know, you either got it done or you did it. And uh, so I like to, like, share that failure is good, that failure means you're working, that failure means you're trying and learning. And so that's what the creation project is about. We take you through how we created Miles, how we created Jessica Jones, how we created some of the newer stuff, how we created some stuff you never heard of because we blew it and it didn't work. So we're taking you through that. So if that idea uh, living through other people's failure to feel empowered by yours, uh, then creation is for you. And along with that, how those kids that are 12 or under are making all these wonderful baking things. I mean, come on. Holy crap. No, that's it. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just about the message of you're either going to be Lego master or go home. Like, that's not what creative life is really like. So, but I think, like, after years and years and years of these kind of reality shows and Instagram being Instagram and all that, it, it creates this illusion for people that either you're a great artist or you suck. And this is not it. Absolutely. And. It, it's kind of crazy because, like, you know, as myself also as a, you know, aspiring comic creator, you know, writing my own stuff, like, it, it's, you got to keep going forward. Like, that's the most important thing because failure, yes, it's there, but you know what? You'll learn from that failure and you keep moving forward because that is, failure is kind of one of the best parts because you, you know, you're licking your wounds and you're getting ready for the next thing because you're smarter than you were before. You know now, hey, I won't do that and hopefully, you know, kick some ass yeah yeah and 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 also like there's so many creators that don't um they're they're so worried about being embarrassed about like someone just shitting on them online or something or just embarrassing themselves that they they don't try they they, they cower from it and sometimes subconsciously they don't even notice they're doing it they just don't they, they see someone else getting dragged and they, they don't want to be dragged i remember like someone was dragging me online and and I, I, and I wanted to point out, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm the writer of Spider-Man. Uh, um, it's amazing. Like, like, okay, this guy's letting me have it. But it, it, like, like I, and then I realized, oh, hey, let me point out to my students, any embarrassing thing you could think could happen online, like anyone like let you have it or blah, 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 has happened to me. And everything is fine. Just get back to work. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like the good critique gets through. The nonsense is nonsense, and uh, and get back to work. So uh, it, it, the fact that someone someone someone's behavior online could stop someone else from creating uh, should I don't think should ever happen. I have a buddy who uh, does stuff on and off for Marvel. I won't say his name, but he had a story that you know was supposed to come out. And it ultimately never did, but there was all the fan backlash online, and I would always feel bad for him because I looked through his you know replies. There would be people like giving him crap, and then eventually it just eventually stopped and like it's never gonna always be there you know yeah there might be one or two you know you're gonna deal with like you know bob lots of numbers on twitter you know he's gonna give his strongly worded opinion then it's all the way at the bottom of the reply so it doesn't matter but it you know well it, yeah and i i think i know exactly what you're talking it, about yeah maybe. but um but and then that was frustrating to me because that was something i had experienced as well and I got all the way, and I was like, yeah, just, just keep going. Don't worry yeah. about it. 
and he's the nicest guy too. To the point, yeah, to the point where like like I just spent a a season of my life being celebrated for um, Riri Williams and Ironheart because of the Wakanda movie, and uh, you know, just a few years ago, I was being dragged for Riri Williams like really hard by certain people, right? So uh, that I had to sit there and like process how hard the Nazis were coming at me in 2016 versus um, how everyone was treating me about it uh, this this season. So it was, you know, I, I and I wanted like to point it out to people. And yeah, by the way, and if I'm if you if you think I'm saying that anyone who says something mean to me is a Nazi, no, I'm talking actual Nazis from the Nazi website that Davy Caller had put me on the cover because of Riri Williams. So I'm actually being very very specific about Nazis. Thank you. It's funny because, like, you look back a few years prior, look at the, uh, what's it called, the Miles Morales situation where when Miles was, you know, created and you're hearing all these people and it's just like, one, let it play out. You know, just just let it play out. Like, look look back at Nick Spencer with uh, Captain America. And, oh, my God, I remember that. It's like, Yep, it's never going to happen again. He's never going to be back to regular Captain America. Never, ever, ever. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. It's a comic book. <laughs> well, also, that one was a funny one because I remember, like, we were at the retreat, and I had just been through that with Civil War II. Like, I'd just been thing, And then and then, and the story, everyone's, oh, that's what we thought was going to happen. didn't happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. That's the... <laughs> But I get, like, that's part of it. Our part of it is we're, we're playing a card game on you, and you – uh, and, and we're not supposed to show it to the end. And uh, my feeling as a reader was, yeah, that's the fun part. But for some people, it's not the fun part. So well, I get, get it. It gets me, you There's know. Like... Crack on the traitors. Well, everyone, like, the one thing I will say, like I've always said, that if you, uh, even creators who, whose energy I don't care for, everyone's working really hard to make something really special. And uh, if you really knew how isolating you can be how alone some of these comic creators are when they're not at comic shows i think people would be nicer online about stuff you know what i mean like oh this person's really giving it their all and they're really giving it everything they have let's just you know even if i don't care for it maybe let's be a little more respectful about the situation i've always on uh twitter i will you know bust on a certain creator um, I'll just point blank say it, Jonathan Hickman, because I just don't like the charts. But, you know, <laughs> his, his, I've said it before, his X-Men made me feel stupid. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm reading. And, you know, I'll, I'll make the jokes. But then one day I was at New York Comic Con this past year and he was there. And I'm like, well, I am missing his signature on my Marvel Comics number 1000. And I told him, I'm like, listen, I bust on you. I can't, you know, lie about that. And obviously, it's a comic convention. Of course, there's going to be an awkward moment with a fan. You know, it's, it's a given. No, um, <laughs> but... I ended up saying to him as well, you know, hey, when we take this picture, uh, can you do it where you're punching me in the face? And he did not punch me in the face, but he took the photo where it looked like I was getting punched in the face. And he was super cool. And now I'm a Jonathan Hickman fan again. Hooray. That's awesome. It's funny because, like I said, you know, there is that toxicity on the Internet. And, like, I, I feel bad for, like, certain creators when those things happen to them. And it is one of those things, though. It this This too shall pass, you know? Yeah, and I, I think it's because I'm a little older and I kind of came up with the Internet and with social media, just about the age I was, that, like, I made all my social media mistakes before there was social media. You know, like fighting with fans about something where you think you're having a polite argument and you're not, you know, or, or having an argument that, like, oh, this isn't a debate. This is someone's being hostile, right? 
you think you're having a polite conversation and you're not, uh, those kind of things. And um, uh, that that I I don't take any of it too harshly or seriously. Like I like it all reveals itself to be okay. Like and to the point where sometimes where I'm if I I'm getting dragged, that normally means something amazing is about to happen, and or something amazing just happened. Like if they announce like a movie or something, I usually get the shit kicked out of me the next day. That's what the internet thinks it, it must do. <laughs> Right, balance. The, the internet doesn't know. I don't need you to feel bad about myself. Thank you. I appreciate you thinking I need that, but I don't. I, I don't need help. But uh, um, uh, I, I think it's because I, I'm a little older that I didn't. None of it. None of it hurts me the way I, it seems to hurt some other creators. And they're right that it should hurt them. Someone's being mean to you, but I. I, I don't. Uh, I try to really let people know. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it, like whatever you, I tell my students, whatever you're worried about happening to you on social media has happened to me, and I'm fine. And it, it's funny because, like, you know, you mentioned the whole thing of you know you have characters that will show up on the big screen or they'll show up on TV. You've had that so many times by this point, and like you've gotten Miles on the big screen and the little screen. You've gotten Jessica Jones on the little screen, but hopefully very soon on the big screen. All so many different characters, and like. Are there any that you know you're just like, why isn't that one coming up yet? Come on. <laughs> well, I, I, I am very very spoiled in this regard, and um, you know I, I, we're just we're just gearing up for the second Spider Verse movie, which uh, I've already seen, and I can't wait to, to share with everybody. And um, you know, uh, for me, it's just what a life experience do over when the first movie came out. I just didn't I I wasn't able to fully process what was going on. So this like do over time is quite lovely. Um, so, but what the reality is that, you know, having Jessica and Miles and Riri out there has opened a lot of doors to uh, other creations of mine uh, and, or co-creations finding their way to the screen. And we have a situation right now where we're developing uh, uh, quite a few of our creator-owned stuff uh, that'll all be announced very soon. But I have a home in the shingle uh, at, at one of the studios and we're developing hard right now. Uh, and and we'll see what happens. But you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's just a great way to like connect with more more people with your creations. And I, I you uh, comics come first for me. Full stop. It always is. I'll, like I never every time I create something new, it, it's always like, what's the comic? It's not like oh, let's just make a TV show or something. It's it's I love comics. I love the experience of people reading them. Uh, so, but but. Once that has happened, to then elevate it into what happened with Jessica Jones and Miles, particularly, both of which were um, quite powerful experiences in my life um, that don't go away. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't recommend it higher. <laughs> it's an amazing experience. But yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what comes next. You know, it's, it's Hollywood. Anything can happen. Has uh, Czar from your Superman run ever made uh, an appearance yet? Because I'm trying to think if he has. Who, what? Uh, Czar, Ro, uh, Rogel Czar. I'm I'm only reading it, so I don't remember the name how it's pronounced. Yeah, Rogel Czar. No, that Czar was yeah uh, named after a, a doctor uh, who, who I knew. I uh, uh, no, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't, honestly, I've, I'm unhooked from the Warner Brothers machine, uh, and I don't know what's happening. So that, who knows? Maybe that, that's know. a great character that could debut on film or even in TV. You know, like with uh, with uh, Papa James Gunn over there doing his thing. Like that's you know something different, something new, and that could work. You know, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. I was way more focused and got very close 
with Legion of Superheroes. I, my, my, uh, uh, the honor of writing Superman will be something I carry with me my entire life. I, I, what, what, a, what a great experience and what a great experience for where I was in my life, too, like emotionally. I, like, I needed Superman, and, and I had him with me all through the pandemic. Point of an amazing experience. Um, but Legion was what I wanted. A Legion, man, I like. I walked in the first thing I said to Dan DiDio was like, "Man, Legion is like you're sitting on gold." Yeah. So uh, to get Legion back up and running, to get uh, HBO Max called me and said, "Hey, let's do a Legion show." Like, uh, and and I got to write it. And, and though it's not, I don't like my version. Is certainly not going to happen. Um, and everyone who hired me is no longer there. Um, so uh, both at HBO Max and at DC. So I, I don't know what would happen next, but that's where I, like, Legion was the one I really tried to make happen. Like, and, Naomi happened on its own. Like, I even, like, that just happened. Um, but, but, but Legion was the one I was pushing for. And it's funny because, you know, I'm going through some of your DC stuff right now. I'm, like, doing the, uh, the specific reading order of all the trades, and I'm loving the hell out of it. It's, it's a very... Oh, thank you. I, it, it was, it, Dan, uh, I'm so glad you got to talk to him and experience him. Dan was... A wonderful boss. He was very supportive, very generous to me, and even when now that I know it was uh, the the house was on fire. The, you know, it was a lot of chaos there uh, for the last year that he was there. Um, and he, some of it's very public, so I don't think I'm talking out of turn. Um, and and it was sad to see it all fall apart um, around them, but he, none of they kind of made sure none of it like hit me right it just kind of happened like one day they called up and said yeah dan's not here anymore I'm like oh damn it yeah. so he couldn't have been he couldn't have been cooler and you know it's it's interesting because like he kept it by the way made some crazy promises to me kept every single one of them that's not surprising with dan like you know from my experience of talking with him as well yeah i can see that now eddie I, i'm gonna have you put earmuffs on for this one right now but oh jeez you know it's funny because like I'm a dyed in the wool Marvel guy, but like reading through a lot of the DC stuff, like I'm kind of, Eddie. Why aren't you doing the earmuffs? DC is no, fine. It's what I say, started with. I'm, it's it's I'm okay. Fa- I'm actually falling more in love with DC lately. Don't, don't tell anybody. Uh, okay. But you know, it's like it's funny because like I'm going through the stuff that you did with the Superman title, and then like reading that Man of Steel miniseries. My God, like you were. I love the fact of how lucky you've been in the realm of comics. The people you've collaborated with. You got Steve Rude. You got the dude to do, you know, pages in your story and to yeah, be able to experience that. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. No, I, I, um, I, I think I, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way because that's what it felt like when I'm like, oh my god, they're letting me do this, right? They're oh my god, they're giving. You know, I when I was in high school, all my favorite comic creators like went to DC. It seemed like the same year, like in I think 1985 or something. Like all of a sudden, like. Frank Miller went from Daredevil to Batman. John Byrne went from FF to Wonder Woman. Uh, George Perez left. Like, like they, they, they uh, no, super, uh, John went to Superman. George went to Wonder Woman. But like all my Marvel creators went to DC at the time where I knew who, exactly who they were. And I'm like, oh, I'm a fan of them. So I will follow them to DC, right? So I knew that feeling and I knew that some people were coming with me. And I, and I and I and and not to get Spider-Man on it. Sam, we're bringing it back to the Marvel thing. But like with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, applies to, to writing Superman. Full stop. Yeah. And uh, and also 
I'm a little Jewish boy from Cleveland, and from the moment I told anybody I wanted to make comics, all people ever said to me, you know, two nice Jewish boys from Cleveland made Superman. And uh, and so the the connection to my upbringing and uh, to everything in my life was very powerful. So And I had just, not to bring up something tragic, but I, me and my wife had just both uh, survived a near-death experience, so we were we were hot. We were coming into this DC situation uh, like with with full of life, like just mm-hmm. an, an insane amount of uh, 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 passion to the point where I don't even know like what those books read like at the moment because I was on fire. And also, Dan was doing everything he could to make all my dreams, uh, all my DC dreams come true, which was. Here's like I love Adam Hughes and I love Ivan Wright. Like it was like that. Every artist that works on Man of Steel, leaning and then going into the artists who were my Superman artists uh, and, and co-creators. All of that was like like the number one choices of everyone I could ever hope to work with. Like literally, who was the first person Dan called for me? And I literally was like, Is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez yeah, working? Like I like. Like I know, I know I'm being like um, selfish, but I'm like, yeah, let's I'm like let's ask for everybody, right? So like, like my first Superman is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and it's in, it's, the, in, in the free comic book thing that they put out that year. It's wild that you got him as your very first one. Not just that, but like you got to give his illustrations a voice. Like, you know, imagine telling that to you know little kid uh brian michael bendis and yeah, no, that yeah, that that's exactly what happens. And like, like I'm sitting there. The art comes in, and I'm like, oh, my God, Atari Force dude is working with me. <laughs> and I'm not joking. That yeah. book meant the world to me. I, yeah. And that happened with Walt, and that happened with Alan Davison. And it becomes like not just, oh, my God, they're working with me. It's like, what can I do to earn this in the moment? Not only work with them, but show them how much I love them, so much how much I respect them, how much they've taught me, and at the same time, give them something to do they haven't done a million times before, right? Like, I think on, like, when I was working with Walt, I, like, gave him, like, one big Thor page just because how do you not? But then I was like, okay, no more Thor. Don't do that. Everyone does that to him. Don't do that to him. So with with um, with uh, Jose, who I, I don't know um, well, but the whole interaction was lovely. I said, "All right, let's let's do like a classic Superman story, and then create new a new character in there." And then I can always say I co-created something with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, which was uh, the Red Cloud. So we created the villain and put it in there. So yeah, it's just trying to make the most of the situations when they come. And there's so many cool moments in your career. You know, you're involved with Daredevil and just one of the most iconic runs of the character and you get to put your name up there in the murderer's row of talent that worked on this character. You know, your your run is on par with the Frank Miller run, the Brian Brubaker, or the uh, the Ed Brubaker one. Let me redo that. Well, it, it's not, and I'll tell you why. Because, um, I, first of all, thank you. Uh, number one, uh, like what Frank did, uh, like, so then it became, all right, Frank showed it can be done. So go do your version of it, right? Don't imitate him. God damn it. Don't imitate your heroes, but imitate the inspiration, right? And and so that I did, and I'm proud of that. And also, like, Frank on Daredevil is the reason every one of my friends makes comics. Like, that's the book. So to be then given the book 
and knowing full well, oh, my God, it's the book. It's not just a book. It's the book is, is a very empowering uh, situation and really does. Go, so what are you going to do now? Are you going to do a Frank Miller imitation or are you going to roll up your sleeves and try to, you know, keep it going, right? So that's why I think the Frank's class of genius of what he turned the book into allows us all to then just do that. And, and that's why, I, obviously, Frank will always uh, be the, the gold standard of which we all, we all try for. And for, for me and Ed, you know, Ed and I came in, into comics together. Like, we, like, broke in in Caliber Comics, like, the same month. So the fact that I was handing off a book to a peer that I admired so much. Um, and then also he allowed me, it was a, one of the very few times, sometimes when you leave a book, you don't know who the next creative team is. They don't know who the next creative team is. You don't know what their take is. Their take may blow up your take, which is part of the deal, right? Uh, and But in this unique situation, with a year to go, Ed signed on to take over. So I was able to turn to Ed, my friend, and say, hey, Ed, you know, the craziest idea I have is Matt goes to jail for this. Like, that's the honest answer to the story is Matt goes to jail. If you want him to go. Like, that, but that only works if you want it to go, right? He goes, oh, I totally want to write Matt in jail. I go, you do? this Now that's all I want to write. I'm like, oh, great. So then I was able to go as far with my stories as I possibly could, knowing full well master writer Ed Brubaker is going to come in and have fun with it. That, what a treat that is for me to, like, like be free to go nuts. Like, no matter what I do, it'll be fine in the end. And so that's what, what I'm the mo- one of the things I'm most proud of from the Daredevil run, not only getting the gig and that having Joe, who, you you know, I don't think it's hard to imagine, like, Daredevil's the most important character to Joe. So to be offered Daredevil from Joe is about as flattering as it gets. And, and then to then end the run, not only having cultivated this wonderful collaboration with Alex that I'm still working with right now, today um but then i get to hand it off to my friend ed uh and then to watch that unique sequential storytelling experience of the handoff and and having fans talk about that to this day with us that how much they love that handoff and it's funny too you know we just had uh lansing and kelly the creative team behind the upcoming or the the current guardians of the galaxy run and mm. one thing with that series you know, they were telling us that it's more of like a space western, and it got me thinking. Like almost every single iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy, even if the team stays "quote unquote" the same, it's always a different kind of book. Your run yeah. is a different book than the Annihilation stuff that preceded you. Your run yeah. is a different book than the all new Guardians of the Galaxy from Jerry Dugan and everybody else. Yours is different than Donnie's. Everyone's is different than each other, and I think that's such a cool thing for those characters. Yeah, I, you know, and that that was a that was a the the I think the one time where my job at the creative committee like affected my choices uh, in 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 right in, in the, the gigs I was taking because I, I remember um, we got like early drafts of the what would be James Gunn's Guardians and long conversations about why they're going to try Guardians. Like, you know what I mean? That was a pretty big swing at the time. And, again, at a time where 
all Kevin Feige had to do was make like 10 Iron Man movies. That's all people wanted, right? Instead, he's going to do Thor and he's going to do Guardians. He's going to do like, and I, like, I really admired that. Like, like, like not, not to do the thing that everyone wants, to show them the other things that they might want. And talking about at the time, again, this is before Star Wars was brought to Disney and became Star Wars again. There was like, wow, there's, there hasn't been a new Star Wars movie in a long, long time, like an actual Star Wars movie. And maybe Marvel should make a Star Wars movie. And, and, and that conversation about like, what the Guardians could be was so exciting to me. And again, a couple of years before the movie came out that I, 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 did, I went home and I told my wife, I go, I think I'm, they offered me to do the Guardians comic book. They, they, cause they saw, a, I was on fire during these meetings and Dan Buckley said, Hey, you should write the comic and we need to get the comic like back. Like there's no comic right now when we're making the movie, we, we need to have a comic. So there's a, some kind of base of readers that know who these characters are, you know? And so I was writing the guardian, like my version of what I knew they were going to become. Right. But not imitating what I knew was coming, but to do my version of what I would do with them and including, which included discovering that, you know, star Lord's origin was one of the best origins in Marvel comics. It was one of the best known, but it was certainly one of the best crafted. And uh, to retell it like I did Ultimate Spider-Man, like take the time and take this eight-page origin and blow it up to like a 48-page origin and really show people what's special about Peter Quill. Uh, that was so exciting. That was that was that was just the best. And and also I had concerns about my relationship to sci-fi and I wanted to rectify it. So the only way to do that is to dive right in. And that run is phenomenal. That's one of my personal favorites. As a matter of fact, I own uh, I own all the issues as floppies. I own the first. I own the only omnibus of it, and I also have uh, number one uh, gifted by a fan of uh, number one signed by Stan the Man himself. Wow! Yeah, cool. And it was a CGC graded copy too. So that was my uh, my cherry pop for a uh, CGC book. So and also uh, also that that's a book where um, like Frank Miller on Daredevil. DNA had already showed us what could be done. Yeah. Right. That that's the magic of that run, is that it is far more than anyone thought it would be when it started, and then it became like like it's almost its own Marvel universe, right? And 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 there's so much inspiration there, and I'm like, great, I'm so glad it's there because that's now there's a there's like a North Star to reach for, much like Frank Miller and Daredevil or George Perez and Avengers, like there's all, there's always a creator out there, creators who, if you're lucky enough to get the book, kind of like are there to like make you feel bad and feel great at the same time. And again, there's just something special about those kind of characters, the the ragtag group of all of yeah. them, and it's fun. It's it's what makes comic books fun. It is, and it's fun to go home and tell tell your wife, hey, you know that hit book we're on that 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 does well. I'm going to leave that book and write a book about a raccoon in a tree that you don't know are going to be huge movie stars, but I'm, I guarantee you they're going to be huge movie stars. And my wife goes, uh, what now? What, what's happening? Isn't it wild, the power of this stuff where that, you know, Groot is, and I've, I've said it many, many times on the show, but Groot's a household name. Groot is a household name, and as a comedy fan, I get annoyed about how many people steal that joke. I've seen a lot of comedians do I Am Groot as a punchline, and I'm like, DNA wrote that joke. That's their joke. Yeah. 
That, you know, that's like Steve Carell and um, that's what she said. Like that, someone that someone owns that joke, and uh, I feel I feel for them every time I see someone steal it. It's an easy punchline. It, it, oh, go ahead. But again, the crazy part of it is it works and people get it. Oh, I, I listen again. Here's here's why I old man the most <laughs> on my kids is when I go. I like every once in a while you go on like Twitter and like Jimmy Woo is tre- trending or like some what would have been years ago the most esoteric reference of even among comic fans and now it's like a well-known pop culture reference yep. crazy and so many of them i can't believe it and once again if you're playing marvelists uh bingo you're about to get a full card on what i'm about to say i have a star lord tattoo so wow. it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like that's how it's invaded pop culture it's like I was like, you know what? No, and I also have the I have the uh, approved by the Comics Code Authority, so that's a good one. That's I have. a good tattoo. And that's one of my favorites. It's right on my. I would say, oh, I'm not a tattoo guy, but that would that, that that would be up there on my if I got a tattoo. It's on my uh, right wrist, and it makes perfect sense because that's the hand I use to hand money when I buy my comic books every Wednesday. So <laughs> there we go. I love it. Strategical placement takes on a new level, uh, Brian. With everything. Also, um, Ta- uh, for those who do do comic book related tattoos, and um, first of all, absolutely send them to the creator or who work on the book, even if they didn't create the character. Like if you have a Star Lord um, tattoo, send it to the person writing Gardens of the Galaxy. I have found it. You are empowering the creators to work a little harder that day. Oh yeah. Because nobody, you don't want to around. If someone's got this on their skin, you want to write as good as you can. And it's funny because in regards to uh, what's it called? Like, I want to meet Englehart, and Englehart doesn't do shows anymore. And I'm like, I want to meet the guy who helped me, you know, get a discount on my first appearance of Star Lord too, you know, because that That's tattoo awesome. that tattoo was used for haggling, and it was right before everyone started blaming Star Lord for the snap. Imagine being <laughs> that person who has that tattoo afterwards. Oh, the fun I've had! I argued with children over it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Not my proudest moment, mind you, but I digress. <laughs> Gotta stick with the sleeves, not the sleeveless shirts. <laughs> yeah, I do actually. <laughs> okay, good. Brian, with everything that you've been doing, uh, you know, including the teaching and the regular work, and of course, balancing the family life in there, have you found yeah. time to and or will be doing more uh, shows, appearances, and stuff? So yeah, you know that I, I got to say that that's the one where I, I had to like really find the balance between doing appearances because I, I, I could be on the road. I have some friends that don't have kids and they're on the road all the time, almost like musicians, right? And and having a great time because nothing's better. I, I, I've never had anything but the best experiences at shows. That, that's the thing too. Every show is a great experience, every single one. And so to like not do them is always like, oh, but yeah, my kids right now are all teenager or close. And my oldest daughter is already off of college. And so I know full well how short this window is right now. Yep. Like, like they're not going to be here much longer. And they're very here right now. And they very much need um, our interaction. So I'm exactly where I should be. And when my kids grow up, we'll, we'll do more shows. But right now, we pick a couple a year that are very focused on, like, like a – like we can really multitask at the show, like not only see our friends, but show our kids something very special and whatnot. So we're going to do Baltimore. Uh, Walt Simonson will be there as well. Um, that That's one I'm doing in America. I'm off to Dubai next month. So like I, I kind of save them for the big special. Ooh, I got invited 
to like crazy places, like like places you never thought comics would ever take you. Um, so I'm doing Dubai and some outside of America um, conventions because I just can't wait to experience them. I get to take my kids. But yeah, so I, I have a couple. But I do wish I did. I do more, and I know there's some conventions that get frustrated with me because I, I can't. I can't do them, but but I will eventually. No, it's good them. to know. It's I love, great. I love them as fans. I love them as a creator. I love hanging out with my friends. Like uh, for me, uh, a show is me, David Mack, Mike Oming, and Alex Maliva all hanging out at a table together for four days. Fantastic! <laughs> some of the greatest memories of my life. And it, it's fun because, like you know, some of the my favorite moments are at conventions, like the after parties too. You know, just talking to the town. Yeah, well, I, I I have a different opinion of that. I think nothing good happens at the after parties. That's where you lose the gig. So uh, me and my friends, we've learned over the years, order a pizza, find a hotel room, hang out, and just talk and bitch and, and, and you know, like yelling at dinner after yelling at a convention all day can really, really be a, a, a lot. I will so say. We, we like... We, we, we get a small group of friends together, and we go find a hotel room and chill. I will say, uh, we used to do after-party shows at uh, East Coast Comic Con in lovely Secaucus, New Jersey, and somebody uh, was on our old podcast that I used to do and was talking, and the episode never got released, partially because the show died that weekend and also partially because the person that was guesting had said something that he told me later on the next day, hey, can you cut that out? Oh, don't worry, <laughs> it will not get cut out because it's never getting released. <laughs> Yeah, it's, no, I, I've been to convention after parties where uh, uh, an artist punched an editor and knocked them unconscious. Like, well, like, well you just ended your career. Like, like, like I don't know what you think's going to happen now. But, uh, um, yeah, so I've, I've seen some truly amazing uh, nonsense, alcohol-fueled nonsense. So I don't, and I don't drink, so there's not much for me. At, at, at these, in these it's, what's your interpretation of after party, yes? Oh, like, like, the, um, like the Hyatt bar at San Diego where everyone like congregates after the show and uh, for some people I know a lot of people got into their heads like that's where your career can get made like you gotta like smooth it up but um, I've, I've never been there and I, and, and I, I can't imagine I missed any opportunities because of it my, one of my personal favorite stories is uh, the time Simon Bisley was uh, he had a, quite a few drinks that night and he was telling me his uh, life story, or his life's goal was to uh, ride across the country on a motorcycle, and get he, as he lovingly said, get a chopper, and just told me that <laughs> over and over. And the next morning, we're waiting for the con to start. We're walking inside, walking, you know, doing the rounds. And he walks up to me, pats me on the shoulder, says, "Remember, get a chopper." I'm like, "Oh wow." <laughs> well, it's only nice that he remembered what he said. That's always nice. One hundred percent. Because I've, I've had a couple of those where, like, oh, that you, you don't remember that interaction? Okay. So now before we wrap this episode up, well, we really didn't talk much about Miles. So how about that Miles? He's pretty great, isn't he? Uh, it, uh, nothing but, but a hug in my life. It, it's cool to see the cultural impact of that character especially. And mm-hmm. my God, like, going, you know, within such a short amount of time, he's a video game character. Video oh, not game. only that, and I'm, I could say this, I'm not the author of the film or the author of the video game. So I can tell you, these things are great. That video game is amazing. And I know a lot, like, it's not, like, the most controversial idea. So, I, like, the fact that, and I can't, I can't figure it out totally, that Miles inspires such good work out of 
literally now hundreds of artists and writers is amazing to me and uh, and an experience I'll never fully be able to wrap my head around and 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 just to give people a sense of what a warm hug Miles is to me from my perspective all day just go to Instagram and look under hashtag Miles Morales birthday cake wow that and I I literally said to my wife at one point during the pandemic I don't know how other people's pandemic is every time I, I I was overwhelmed with that pandemic feeling you know like when we're all locked up you know yeah uh that that hashtag of there were kids having birthday parties all over the world with little miles oh my god it was just the warmest feeling and it made me feel connected uh to the universe again and i i felt so uh relieved and it's so cool because when you look at the character of miles morales the origin like the involvement of the uh the parents it's so much of the backstory is different in each interpretation. Like, I don't know what the animated series stuff has done with the character, but you look at the comic book version. You have that part with the the uncle. You have the part in the video game, I believe, uh, the father passes away. And then in the movie, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, both parents are alive. And it's, if I remember correctly, it was like the, the uncle, right? Something happens with the uncle yeah, now. Yeah, uncle, uncle Aaron is the problem, but that's in the comic too. But again, like all these like different little changes, and it's kind of cool to yeah. see. It's like nothing is ever the same. Like I've never seen that with a character before. Like, no, I, it's it, you think like I I thought about it, and I I it's not unlike what Peter Parker went through when he was an animated character. He had Spider Man and his amazing friends, and he had a computer in his living room, and a Spider Mobile. Like the, there is there is always a, a evolution of the character to whatever medium it was finding its way into and, and, and evolving as the story evolved and as other voices attached itself and they brought their truth. The number one thing is with Miles, there's a lot of creators bringing their truth and their family truth to the character directly, right? Right. So that's great. And I did that too. So I started that part. I started, okay, this is as honest a story as I can tell from my perspective. And then everyone else did the same, right? So that part I liked. And as far as evolving in the different versions, I really appreciate it because it was everyone, like, that's what Peter went through. So that's what Miles should go through. Like, that's, like, it, it, and nothing I did with the character couldn't be interpreted through other people's family dynamics to the point, and I'll bring up what I think is the one thing that most people don't notice, but I do, is... Um, my Miles had a very poor relationship with his father, reflecting my relationship to my father, right? And I, I, like, I, I was very into, and I made a very big thing about, this is going to be a Marvel character whose both parents are alive and involved in his life, which is not where Marvel lives. All Marvel characters, the parents, particularly the father, are either dead, the villain, or about to become the villain and dead, mm. right? So uh, knowing that, I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if there was one character in all of Marvel Comics who had both of their parents and they loved the shit out of them, right? So that was, and that right away, when I thought from the basis, like the, the, from the base of where Peter started and where Miles started, there would be a difference. Like, you know what I mean? An emotional difference. Uh, and so that stayed. But what was interesting is, like Lord and Miller, um, on, on, on these movies that I continue to um, help with when they need, 
their version of Miles has the father and son love. I mean, that's the that's the clip you always see is I love you, Miles, right? Yeah. And and that's not that never happens in the comic because I had a a relate a frustrating relationship with my father that I you know will always try to figure out right. And uh, so the fact that the filmmakers uh, went into a more loving, frustrating relationship uh, is fascinating and, I, and, and obviously more appealing uh, on an overall. But I like when people see the movie and then read the comics and then like, ooh, there's, there's a little more gristle between them. I'm like, yeah, he's a teenager and dad's got some issues. Right. So um, and, and let's watch them work it out or not. And that, that's uh, and that that and then and then I took it as far as, you know, we we killed Miles's mom because I thought the worst thing that could happen to Miles is that he's alone with his dad because they don't understand each other yet. Right. And, and, and so and though I will say that I immediately saw what a mistake that was and brought her back as soon as humanly possible. Um, uh, that, that that was the idea was because the relationship between them was so complicated that I thought just stripping it down to just the two of them was the most interesting thing I could do on the book at the time. So what I like is that how people take these elements and apply their truth or their relationship to their parents or what they think they saw in Miles and apply it directly. And I just sit back and, and it's still truthful to the character. No one's ever betrayed the character on um, all these different interpretations. Right, it still feels like Miles, and and it's fascinating. It's just fascinating to me. I love that. I've never felt like, I've never felt the what are they doing? I've never felt that. I've always felt like, oh, interesting, cool, awesome. And in fact, I get more excited about when I see someone taking a new swing with the character than I do see someone doing something I may have already done or someone already already did. Did you intentionally just now say take a swing for Spider Man? Uh, yeah, let's say, yeah. I've Good. lost track of the amazing, so it's okay. Yeah. So now, before we wrap this episode up, Brian, it was an absolute pleasure and honor to finally be able to speak with you on this here fine program. Well, thank you. Hey, did I answer that last question correctly? Did, did, that, did that make sense to you? I don't think there's any right or wrong. It's it's you, so it's fine. It's a, you know, it's a complicated idea, so I just wasn't sure if it made sense. Yeah. It's so inside baseball, I wasn't sure. So now before we go, Brian, how can people get a hold of you on the worldwide interweb and how can people get your stuff and how can people check out the Substack? Oh my goodness, just go to jinxworld.com. Jinxworld.com takes you right to the Substack, right to all the posts. You can peruse them, see everything we're talking about, get a little taste of everything, plus tons of newsletters just updating you on what's going on with uh, the miles of it all and the dark horse of it all and and everything else, um, and you can subscribe there, um, and also darkhorse.com, uh, my, Google my name, you'll see the ones, Joy Operations, Fortune and Glory, Powers, um, Jinx, like uh, books that, the books that got me to Marvel, and the books that are keeping me from Marvel, both uh, are being published right now, Dark Horse Comics, and um, we're proud of all of them, and uh I say to every comic creator listening to a podcast about Marvel and DC, you know what's great, too, is going into a comic store and let's say, like, you're a fan of Jason Aaron's Avengers. Well, Jason Aaron has an amazing book by Boom right now that if you love his Marvel work, you will love his creator-owned comics. 
Same thing with Chip Zdarsky. Same thing with Kelly Thompson. Same thing with Matthew Rosenberg. Of my friends Matt and Kelly, too. Like my peers, there's so many creators out there doing really, really great work in the mainstream, but they're also doing something really interesting in the creator-owned space. So do yourself a favor. Take a little chance on a creator that has already given you some um, fun and see what else is out there in the comics here for you. You might be surprised what else is out there. I don't think we've ever gotten a guest on the show that ended with buy comics in general. I love hearing yeah, that. I love new. that. I say go into a comic store like Samuel L. Jackson in Unbreakable and don't leave until something falls in your lap and tells you the truth of the universe that you need to see. That is fantastic. I like that. I think that's why so many comic people love that movie so much is because we, we all want to go in a comic store and just stand there until the world reveals itself to us. It's a good idea. Uh, real quick, while I have you on here, because I just want to know, the name Jinx World, because I, I don't know the next time I'm going to have the opportunity to ask you this. Where did that name come from? I have a graphic novel called Jinx. The lead character is Jinx. She's a bounty hunter. Um, uh, uh, one of uh, the first characters I created from scratch that lives and breathes. Uh, and we're actually adapting the book right now for screen. And um, it's, it's a book where uh, a lot of people just discovered me at the same time I start I stopped sucking so um, uh, so yeah so we just named the, the whole Kim Caboodle after that character and that experience very the Jinx World is the banner in which all our new creations and co-creations live very cool you gotta name it something and Malar World already was taken are you sure about that? yeah Malar World was taken <laughs> oh. I, I looked it up oh, I think you said Marvel World <laughs> I was no, like, are no, you sure? Marvel. I'm sure Marvel World is taken, too. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. I named my company Marvel World. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Brian Michael Bendis. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Obsessed with Marvel. Very special return with very special guests. Brian Michael Bendis, thanks for hanging around with us some more, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. I can't wait to really embarrass myself here. Let's do it. You're in good company. Okay. I mean, Eddie, you did call him Mike just now. I'm, you know, I kind of abbreviated three names into one. (laughs) It's not the first time it's happened. Don't worry about it. Cool. Question 1225. Which member of the X-Men was once a hound who hunted other mutants? Is it oh, I know this one. Bishop, no. Gambit, no. Rachel Summers, yes. or Wolverine? Again, no. which, not Wolverine again, but to repeat, <laughs> which member of the X-Men was once a hound who hunted other mutants? Bishop, a Gambit, hound, a dog? Re, um, yep. Rachel Summers, a phys- or Wolverine? A, a hound. physical dog? A hound. Like they, 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 I know this was during the uh, mid-80s Claremont stuff. I think this was... John Romita Jr. era or Ray yeah. Paul Smith? Was it was, was it was either Bishop or Rachel? I guess it was, it was, was Rachel. No, was it Rachel? My first yeah, guess is Rachel. That, just I don't know why. It's just an instinct. I'm, she had that weird outfit instinct, like you know, she's sniffing him out. Could be. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Boy, why? Why am I blanking on this? That's so weird. Because I did. I hardcore read those. 
All right. Well, let's let's yeah. give it a shot and go with Rachel Summers. Rachel that Summers. is correct. Oh my goodness! It's a Total good. Guess. It's a good start to um, having not done this trivia for in a quite long some time. time. Absolutely I long did time. I technically say all the names. You gave me multiple choice, and I said them all. Yeah. Did so you? I'll try not to do that. This no, time. I don't think you said Gambit or Wolverine. So. Okay, that's true. You're 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 halfway there. We're John retconning this. I'll call. I'll, I'll uh, message uh, Tom Brevoort and see what happens. We'll just you know retcon it. Oh, Tom, it. we love Tom and his hat. Tom lives lives nearby where we are. Question sixteen twenty two. Armbar. In which comic did the origin stories of the first three headmen appear in the same issue? Well, I'm out. I think I'm in. Headmen. Yeah, as just like it sounds, plural H E A D M E N capital H. In which comic did the origin stories of the first three headmen appear in the same issue? Choices are Tales of Suspense, Weird Wonder Tales, <laughs> Mystery Tales, or World of Fantasy. I'm going to say World of Fantasy because I've read the other ones and I have no, I have no, like, I don't even have a, like, a reference point on this. Yeah, I kind of go from recognizing the first two titles to not really to, I'm not even sure about the last two titles. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah. It's as good as a guess as any. Peter said he was out, so let's I'm, try. <laughs> I'm very minimalist. I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, it's a very nice blank. Anyway, Aww, D, let's try D, World of Fantasy, and no, the answer is B, Weird Wonder Tales. Really? Wow. I got most was, of that. What was the, what was the, the title in what was, like, Oh, the well, the title of the comic was that, but you're asking, like, what was the story? Like, I've got to go look. I think I have most of the run actually. And now, since Eddie did not take a question or answer from me, I am one and O. Oh, fine. Want everyone to know that? I didn't know you could do that. Okay. I didn't know we could either. Brian, it's like so. whose line is it anyway? <laughs> it's not like everybody's getting scored. The points don't matter. Remember? <laughs> Can you yell out your window for Tom for me? I'll call phone a friend. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if we only had a real window. It was a doorway. No, but honestly, it was uh, having Tom as my editor all those years was uh, always made me look a little smarter than I was. Yeah, we're going to need a Tom return. We had uh, him do the question, one of the questions in here, and he goes, yeah, that book is wrong because I edited that book. <laughs> it's <laughs> <And> true. <laughs> I have that qu at flagged, actually, too, at the specific page in question that it is. So, like, wrong answer. Circuit. I should have had Tom initial the uh, post it. Oh, yeah. That would be good. good Hilarious. Would have been absolutely. All right. Question number three ninety five. Which supervillain did presidential candidate slash comedian Stephen Colbert encounter when he met Spider Man in the Amazing Spider Man number five seventy three from the year two thousand eight? Uh, now your choices are because I was in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got a we've got. This is a, a 1957 world of uh, science fiction. This is goddamn. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the choices are, the grizzly, the leapfrog, the walrus, or the white rabbit. Say it again. Which the choices or the question? I'll start from the beginning. The 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 the, the choice. choices. The grizzly, the leapfrog, the walrus, or the white rabbit. I'll repeat the question for those listening. Yeah, no, no, I'm gonna go you, for. Grizzly. Yeah, same thing. Because I did leapfrog in Daredevil, and I would have, I would have remembered that. And like, you know, sometimes you remember when they use characters you've used, right? I, I, I'm going to go for. I will say the the, the the trivia I know about this is that um, when uh, Stephen Colbert reveals himself to be uh, a comics ally, uh, uh, Joe went into Tom's office 
took his Captain America shield, which at the time was a very rare thing that you wasn't being produced, uh, you couldn't buy anywhere, mm. and uh, gave it to Stephen Colbert. And that 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 um, Captain America shield that you saw on the set for years was uh, it was Tom's, and Tom was like, I, 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 I don't get it back. <laughs> That's a good story. Backstory. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to go with uh, with the grizzly letter A, and it is correct. I am now two oh and Oh, my o. God. Total guess. Total guess? All right. I thought, I thought it was a slam dunk to you. We'll go, we'll oh go for God. We'll go for one more. We typically do best of four, thereabouts. All right. So let's I'm enjoying this. Head on down to, see, better than you thought, maybe. Better than Ezra, even. Cheaper than therapy. Man, we didn't even do any music references during the show. I just got um, it for us. Well, you, you got one in the, in the extra part of Aw, the Aw, shucks. There's always a music reference. Well, now there is. Brian doesn't know that till now. But okay. Well, Scotty doesn't know. Good song, too. I, I, and I get all of these references. <laughs> cool. 1745, the number. The question, which real-life... Uh, by the way, you know the, the great Norm MacDonald's greatest joke? Uh, uh, oh, the moth? Um, that, that uh, you know, um, who, who is better than Ezra. <laughs> Ezra. Anyway, go ahead. My favorite... My... <laughs> okay. I annoy the absolute hell out of my girlfriend with, I didn't even know he was sick. She's, <laughs> she's not the only one you, anyway. Sir. She, 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 she right, speak right. of such high time. All right, again, well, starting. Which real-life figure appeared in Supervillain Team-Up number six and seven back to 1976? Ah, Which real-life figure? All right, between the two issues or both, it looks like. Richard M. Nixon, Dr. Henry Kissinger, Leonid Brezhnev, or Mao Zedong? Ooh. Some early Marvel. Does it feel like it would be That's Kissinger? Pass the question. Great one. That yeah. one feels like it would be Kissinger. Henry Kissinger. How give him, give him to me again. Supervillain team up six seven again. Nineteen seventy six. Choices are Richard M. Nixon, Doctor Henry Kissinger, Leonid Brezhnev, or Mao Zedong. So this is post Watergate, right? Yep. So I'm going to go with Brezhnev. Brezhnev, Peter, and I'm going with Kissinger, but I feel like it's Kissinger. I feel like it's not Kissinger though, because Kiss- it could have been. I think Kissinger was in the Crease Ball War. Yes, he was. Oh, yes. Okay, and I know Nixon was in something. Um, yeah, Nixon comic- was in a couple things. I remember there was it was the time. There was, it was hard not. Yeah, to yeah. Tell Nixon to go fuck himself. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so Brian, Brian, you're staying with uh, Brezhnev. Y- yeah, I want to win, so I'm going to go with Brezhnev too. All right, I'm. I, my gut is saying Mao Zedong. You might be right. That's my second one. I don't think it's Nixon. Eddie, All right. you may be right. You might be crazy. B- Billy Joe. It's a good song. And All since I have the book. References. Also, Scotty Doesn't Know is also a solid Marvel reference because that was written by Dave Mandel, who is one of the biggest comic fans in the history of the universe and has literally like every great piece of artwork ever owned. Yikes. He like, owns Miller stuff. He owns that Dark yep. Knight Returns. My God. Yep. Yeah, well, so a lot of comic DNA and and, and Euro trip. <laughs> oh yeah, as I am wont to say, with when we get into obsessed with Marvel, since I have the book, I'm pushing the button and I'm going to say D. Mouse a tongue. No, <laughs> the answer is B. Henry Kissinger. No shit. <laughs> wow. Doctor Henry Kissinger. Okay. All right. We I need a redemption question, and this will be it. Hold I should on. Should have trusted my Peter Tingle. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. <sighs> Either that or you tinkle tinkle. Anyway. No, I already went. 1800, and this is a lengthy one because it's on. Oh, no. Yes, this is a paragraph before we get to uh, the actual question. Finally, Eddie Wilson's going to give a thesis statement. 
The alternate future Earth of the Marvel 2099 line of comics had its own version of the Hulk, created by writer Gerard Jones and artist Dwayne Turner. Instead of a genius nuclear scientist like Bruce Banner, Hulk 2099's human self is a movie studio executive named John Eisenhart. He tries to buy the movie rights to the story of the Knights of Banner, a cult that attempted to create a new Hulk through illegal gamma radiation experiments. When the Knights refuse, Eisenhart tells the police about the cult. This leads to a battle in which the police kill many of the Knights. His con conscience awakened, Eisenhart tries to intervene on the Knights' side, but it's too late. One young Knight, Gawain, sets off gamma devices, and the radiation transforms Eisenhart into the Hulk of AD 2099. Side note, now I know how this comic book starts. And I have it, and I have yet to read it. Qu question is... In which issue did Hulk 2099 debut? Choices are Hulk 2099 number one, 2099 Unlimited number one, 2099 Genesis number one, or 2099 World of Tomorrow number one. I'm just realizing I have a phone in my hand. I could easily be doing this while you're talking, and I am not. I'm just letting you know. I've, I am, I am, I've thought the same thing on many an occasion. Um, I'm, well, being, I'm being pure here. It took me five questions to figure out I could probably. I'll tell you but, though, what um, I'm, I'm leaving out here, maybe it's it's relevant. Is uh, 2099 Unlimited number one was in 1993, then Hulk mm -hmm. 2099 started in '94, then mm -hmm. both 2099 Genesis and World of Tomorrow were 1996. I am going to. Uh, I'm. Can I pass? Like, no, I, like I think did? this may have given it away. I'm I'm going with B, Henry Kissinger. I'm going with B, 2099 Unlimited number 1 from 1993. Yeah, I think I'll go with you on that one, too. Just, just out of... But it could be a... F we fooled you with that by the oh. timeline thing, so uh, follow me. I'm a fool. <laughs> B! Yeah, I... Yeah, yes. I, I'm literally blanking on a It's Hulk correct. 2099 Unlimited number 1. I was correct. Oh, my God, it's Kissinger. Yay! <laughs> I won by following... <laughs> It works for me. We're out of here. All right. There's a great question. Brian, thank you again. That felt like an AI. It felt right? like an AI made up that question. It was like random words put together in the sentence.